Welcome to our YouTube channel. As you take your time to listen to God's word with us, we hope and pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you as well as your family. We are starting a new series called The Glorious Days. Are you excited? The Glorious Days. God has been speaking to us from you know Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 about how to be strong in the hope that God has given us we are called to be anchored in Christ Jesus and that theme and that word is going to keep continuing throughout the year and and God is going to keep bringing us back to that but as we prepare you know, uh, into going into Easter, one of the things that God asked me uh, to speak on is the last seven days of Jesus before his resurrection. You know, God created heaven and earth and this entire world in seven days and on the seventh day he rested. He rested. He paused. Being anchored is called to pause, called to rest, called to just go, be still and know whatever that God has done is absolutely beautiful and perfect. So this series is a series that we are going to look at about the seven days that leads up to the cross. The seven days. What was the schedule of Jesus? Everybody has a schedule, right? You all have a schedule? Uh, you follow probably Google Calendar. Some of you ancient people might still have diaries. I'm joking. Um, uh, no, 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 no offense. Don't take any offense. Uh, uh, and some of you might like to uh, write and stick it on your wall. Uh, some of you don't have the habit of scheduling at all because you schedule what's important. And for some of us, Nothing is important so much than eating and sleeping. So scheduled to sleep, scheduled to rest, scheduled to chill. So we all have different kinds of schedule. And I'm just always, I'm just wondering what was the schedule of Jesus? You know, what would his itinerary would have been like? Right? And Peter probably would have not you know, being his, probably his close assistant, I could imagine Peter being his, you know, executive assistant to Jesus, trying to send him an email on Saturday night, jesus at jesusministries.com. What's our plan for the week? Seven days to the cross. The disciples did not know that this week is going to be a crucial week. The disciples didn't really understand the depth and the power of the next seven days that is about to happen as it leads up to the cross. It is not scheduled to be depressed. It was not scheduled to be sad. It was not scheduled to be uh, in fear or in fright. But it was scheduled to be glorious. Because the last seven days of Jesus, as he, you know, uh, stepped and marched towards the cross and towards the resurrection, I am pretty sure that heaven was getting ready for a glorious conference. That heaven was getting ready for a glorious seven days. Even though on the outset it might look like shocking to the disciples. 
it might look like you know uh, unimaginable it might look like everything is has gone into the political control and power but no god was still seated in the throne and it was still glorious turn to the person who is sitting next to you look at them and tell them it's going to be glorious so i could imagine probably in jesus's google calendar or god calendar he would have just scheduled it as glorious days glorious days seven days of god's divine glory so the name the glorious days all right why is it so important for us to look at the last seven days of jesus you know these four guys matty marky lou and joey they wrote the gospels matty marky lou and joey you all don't know okay matty marky lou and joey they wrote the four gospels and if you put these four gospels together it's got about 89 chapters out of 89 chapters four chapters in the entire gospels four chapters was dedicated to the early part of jesus about 80 you know uh, out of 85 89 you know um the other half was about 3.5 years of jesus but the last 29 chapters out of 85 are you ready for this 29 chapters just talks about the last week of jesus so why are we talking about this because it's important it's important about 3/4 of the gospel is talking about the entire gospel is talking about this last 7 days in fact if you take the gospel of john half of the gospel of john is the last 7 days so welcome to the series the glorious days okay i'll clap for myself <laughs> doing a great job buddy it's going to be great we call it the passion week we call it the holy week different names for this seven days this was the schedule that jesus had the seven glorious days but he also had some events going on and we are going to go travel through that timeline and there's going to be seven sermons for the next seven weeks and into good friday into easter the fir- the first week it starts on sunday it starts with palm sunday jesus enters jerusalem riding on a donkey while people were waving palm branches and shouting hosanna and today uh, i'm going to be preaching from that today is not palm sunday but i'm going to be preaching from that event then on monday jesus had it scheduled probably i'm going to curse a fig tree today right jesus curses a fig tree uh, which was not bearing fruit he cleanses the temple by driving out the merchants and money changers so basically he's had said okay monday i'm going to go into the temple and and get some people kicked out there because they don't belong there they are turning things into uh, my t- my god uh, you know my god's house into uh, something that is not supposed to be tuesday jesus again teaches in the temple and engages in debates with religious leaders uh, he delivers uh, you know uh, uh, some te- uh, some um, you know uh, uh, predictions th- uh, and upon the destruction that is going to come on the temple wednesday there is no specific mention in the bible but it is traditionally uh, believed to be the day that judas decides 
to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Thursday, you call it Maundy Thursday, Jesus and his disciple celebrates the Last Supper, during which Jesus talks about the sacraments of, of communion and the meal. Then later on that day, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Judas arrives there with a crowd of soldiers and he betrays Jesus and Jesus gets arrested. Then on Friday, Jesus is taken before Pilate, sentenced to be crucified. He is mocked, he is beaten, he is forced to carry the cross to Calvary where he is crucified. He dies on the cross around 3 p.m. On the Saturday, Jesus' body is placed in a tomb. I mean, come on. Like heaven would have scheduled this. Friday you die, 3 p.m. Saturday, chill in the tomb. Sunday, get ready to get up. Sunday, Jesus has risen from the dead, fulfilling the prophecies and promising the eternal life to everybody who believes in him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them, covers this gospel, this in the gospel. And today our key passage is going to be from Luke chapter 19, verse 29 to 40. So if you got your Bibles with you, go with me to Luke chapter 19, from verses 29 to 40. Can we read together? The verses will come on the screen. Is it visible enough? I hope it's visible enough for everyone and let's, let's read it. Um, together church alright from verse 29 as he came to the towns shall we read together yeah one two three go as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives he sent two disciples ahead go into the village over there he told them as you enter it you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say the Lord needs it. Let me just pause here for a second. You and I, we have a God who knows what is where and how it is and in what condition it is in. And you and I, we have a God who knows that what purpose it's going to serve and he can speak without the, uh, any communication uh, facilities and technologies that we have these days because the owner of this cult did not post about his cult in Instagram that he went on the feed and found out that there was a cult in Bethphage. He just knew because he is an almighty God, he's an all-knowing God and he's an all-powerful God and he knew every single detail about it and at the end, if anybody asked why are you being untied, just say the Lord needs it. And I just want to preach here for a moment. This is not the sermon that I had prepared this morning. But I want to take a minute and pause and preach here. Because you and I, we are those donkeys. And we have been tied to a pole. Lot of burdens bondages, lot of things that you have been tied to, sickness, uh, things about uh, your past, your sins, you have been tied to, but God sent his gospel, the apostles came, the disciples came, Thomas came to India because he knew there is a lot of donkeys in India that needs to be untied and if anybody asks, why are you untying this, just say Jesus needs them. India, I'm telling 
telling you anyone who asks why are Christians behaving like this, tell them Jesus needs us. Alright, let's continue to read. If anyone asks why you untying that coal, just say the Lord needs it. Anybody feels untied because Jesus and the gospel came into your life? Anybody in this room who can confidently say, I am free? That's what the gospel does to you. Because Jesus decided you need, you're needed, you're mine. He knows every single details of your life. He knows every single burdens of your life. He can see you from far. He can see you by not even looking at you. Oh, scary. But that's the truth. That's the truth. Verse 32. So, when, so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the coal to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now this is not an event that just, that's just happening randomly. Because this was prophesied almost 400 years ago that this will happen. 400 years ago of that particular moment of that particular scenario that is just happening here, that was prophesied. Go to Zechariah 9.9 and let's read this together. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice, O people. Let's read it together. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's 400 years ago. 400 years ago. What technology are you talking about? You're talking about a spiritual move of God. No technology can beat the spirit of God that can go ahead and before. Let's go back to Luke. Let's read from verse 36. As he rode along. Shall we read? As he rode along. The crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers. For saying things like that. He replied. If they kept quiet. The stones along the road. Would burst into cheers. Ladies and gentlemen. I want to speak to you this morning on the title. Make some noise. I said make some noise. You know in the passage. These guys were, the Pharisees couldn't understand because they're all about religion. Order, order, order. And they go to Jesus. They look at Jesus and they tell him, 
can you tell your disciples not to do this can you tell your disciples not to do this and jesus looks at them and tell them i'm paraphrasing but i like it this way but i like it this way because if they don't shout i can make even the rocks to praise me and basically you think that yeah partly jesus was talking about probably the physical rocks but also he was talking about the stone hearted nature of the religious leaders in other words these people are praising if you want me to stop i will break your heart and you will start praising me you pharisee because i like it this way i like it this way i like it when my people scream and shout my name praising me in freedom because they are untied because they are set free because they are about to you know receive something great that no man could ever give i am going to the cross for them i'm going to wipe every single thing that is written against them with my own blood and on the third day i will rise again and when i rise again on the third day as i am victorious so will they be so will they be i had another title <laughs> what was the other title keep make some noise or get replaced choose make some noise or get replaced five facts about making some noise here making some noise is not just you know hooting like how we probably cheer for a cricket team or a football team because this noise here was a noise of celebration was a noise of worship was a noise of adoration was a noise of freedom it was a noise and a sound of joy that was the expression that was the expression so worship is something that god enjoys worship is something that god likes and it cannot be replaced by anything else you and i we are created to worship god and if you keep quiet he will get someone else to do it and i'd rather be the one worshiping him at all times i don't know about you i rather be the one that worships him at all times turn to the person sitting next to you look at them and tell them i want to be the one who worships him at all times again look at them and tell them no 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 i want to be the one who worships him all the time no i said i i okay stop fighting now people make some noise a noise of celebration a noise of joy a noise of freedom a noise that does not come from pain but a place of deliverance if you don't worship god what happens you got to understand 
you and I, we are wired to worship. You know that? We are wired to worship. We all worship something. We all worship something. Worship is basically our response to what we value the most. Worship is something, you know, it's our response to something that we value the most. If you value something that becomes, that consumes all your time and all your energy, that's a nature of worship that is within you that offers everything of you, your, your, your entire you know, fiber of your body, your mind, your intellect, your soul, your heart, everything is into that. That's worship. That's worship. Whatever you worship becomes your obsession. Whatever you are obsessed with, you start imitating. Whatever you imitate, you become that. Let me say that again. Whatever you worship becomes your obsession. Whatever you're obsessed with, you start to imitate. You start to imitate. Whatever you imitate, you become that. When you read in, in, in this gospel, in Luke chapter 19 from verse 29 to 40, on the outset, it looks like worship. On the outset, it looks like a genuine celebration. They are putting the cloaks out. They are, you know, throwing uh, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, palm leaves. They are, they are just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. On the outset, it looks so real and genuine. But Jesus knew those shouts were coming from fickle-hearted people. The reason Jesus knew that is because their faith was fickle. The reason that Jesus knew was that at the end of it, this Pharisee is going to open his mouth and going to speak, and these people's hearts are going to be changed and convinced by the political powers and authority, and within five days, the same mouth that said, Hosanna, 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 is going to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Their worship seemed to come from the depth. But it came from a place of fickle faith. A fickle faith is something that jumps because of the external elements. If a faith is attached to what you see on the external part of your life or external affairs of your life or external move of things that is happening in your life and if your faith is constantly attached to that and if your worship comes from that place then you and I are having a fickle faith worship you might shout your lungs you might make some noise but it's not coming from a place of pure worship because fickle faith, what it does is that when things are going well, you sing. And when things are not going well, you say, I'm not in the mood today. And God understands. 
But true worshippers are called to worship God and it's not attached to our circumstances, attached to our situation, attached to what we feel, but rather what we feel, what we see and what we experience is rooted in our praise and worship. You and I, we are called to be real worshippers. Not to be fickle minded. Not to be performers. Today we had a great time of worship this morning. But this is, it's great because we all worship together. It's not great because of the music, even though the music is brilliant. But it's not great because of the music. Music is an expression of worship. But you coming on time to church is also worship. Because what you value is what you are. Hello? Worship does not song with, you know, start with, come on everybody, let's put our hands together, let's worship God this morning. No, it doesn't start that way. Worship starts when you wake up. When you wake up. Worship is, is an affair of your heart. Singing is an expression of your heart. Speaking about God, testifying, is also worship. Because your heart is positioned saying that I will talk and glorify the name of Jesus. You don't have to be a singer, but can you tell the goodness about Jesus? Yes, I can. You are a worshiper. You are a worshiper. I'm good at walking, pastor. I can walk for hours. Can you walk and pray for the city? Are you obsessed with Jesus so much so that you want the city to be saved and you start walking every day and praying over the city? You are a worshiper. Your entirety of your existence is wired to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You turning up late to your work is bad worship. You being a child of God is called to be excellent because you have an excellent God who has given you excellent oxygen every day that you breathe and exhale and you have an excellent God who created everything around you in excellency and if your entire life is designed to worship even your career and being sincere in what is God has given you is also an act of worship. Running your business in godly way is incense to God, is worship to God. Bringing up your children in godly ways is worship to God. It's easy to make noise and we say make some noise and it's easy to shout out. But really, is it coming from real worship? Is it coming from, worship does not start on a Sunday. Worship starts when you wake up. In fact, even when you sleep. If you can sleep with good thoughts in his presence, a heart that is surrendered to God, you're still 
worshipping him. This is how God has designed you and your soul. This is what you're wired to be. And the enemy knows this and he puts everything on you to make sure that you don't do it because we are distracted. The moment you wake up, you don't worship. You feel distracted. Ah, I feel fatter than yesterday today. That's the first thing we are concerned about. Ah, I feel like that. Ah, I feel like that. Ah, I feel like this. No. Worship doesn't come from your body. It comes from your soul. I rejoice. Because I can see the roof of my house this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the fan. Thank you, Lord, for the electricity. Thank you, Lord, for the AC. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the tiles. We, we don't care about our presence. We don't care about... That's the simpleness of you just waking up is designed and decided by God. So our heart should always be in a posture of real worship. Real worship comes from a place of gratitude. If you're going to go to bed saying, ah, you know what that sound is. God has called us to make noise of celebration and rejoicing, but we make noise of, Ugh. this is the day I wish that the Lord did not make. <laughs> Exams, Ugh. thesis, Ugh. work, Ugh. And then throughout the day, you're like, God help me, God help me, God help me. And God is like, eh. <laughs> you gave your uh first, and now you want me to come after you and support you in everything that you do. But he's a loving God. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 30. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate this is Jesus being in the temple and he's talking and, and he's giving words of wisdom. And this leader, religious leader, was listening to the debate and he's trying to ask a smart question to Jesus. He says, he realized that Jesus answered everything so well, so he asked of all commandments, which is the most important. Jesus, you know the commandments we have, ten commandments. We have it stuck in our wall and, and, and as Jewish people, we memorize it from the age of ten. So Jesus, you being a Jew, you should know this. Out of all the commandments, which one is the most important one? And Jesus replied, the most important, important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the own and only Lord. It's talking about the sovereignty of Jesus. The sovereignty of God, which means that I do not share myself with anyone else. Basically, worship is giving it all. He does not want 
to share your heart and your soul and your mind with material things, ideas of the devil and schemes and purposes of other people and opinions of what others think in others think in how you should connect with God. God is not interested in that because the religious people say tell them to stop doing this. And Jesus looks at them and tells them I like it this way guys. Why should they stop? They're celebrating even though it's a fickle faith but they're celebrating because one day they will be saved. Their children will be saved. Their generation will be saved. One day, one day, one day, not just here, but even in the city of Trichirapalli, there will be a group of people who will be worshipping me the way that is happening right now. Even more than 2,000 years, what is happening right now is going to keep going. You can't stop it. No one can stop it. I like it this way. Worship is God's love language. You know this, you know the love languages, right? Everybody has a love language and it's not the same. And you're called to love somebody in their love language, not in yours. Okay, I don't want to go into premarital counseling now, but you all get it. And he says, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God. This is what he says. This, this is his love language. This is what he's saying. You should love the Lord your God. What does it say? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. If you are wondering, Pastor, sometimes I have been fickle in my faith. I have been fake in my worship. I have jumped because the guy in the front would not end the worship until everybody jumps. So I jumped. But I didn't feel like jumping. I didn't feel like singing. I didn't feel like worshipping. Forgive me Lord for I came to your presence based on my feelings. But I should have come to you based on who you are. Because who you are will alter my feelings will replace and rechange and rewire how I see life. Because that is the real approach of worship. And if you are wondering how you can be consistent in developing real worship in your life, here's number one, if you're writing this down. God expects us to worship Him with all our affections. God expects us to worship Him with all our affections. What do we mean by that? This is what David did. From Psalm chapter 150, from verse 1 to 6, he says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with a blaster. David knew God's love language. He's not a, you know, he, when it comes to what, he, he loves it. He loves it loud, guys. I'm pretty sure God has a special place for all the sound engineers in heaven. All you people, you put more than 20 dB. Oh. Blast. He loves a good blasting. Praise him with tambourine. 
praise him with horn, praise him with lyre, praise him with harp, praise him with tambourine, praise him with dancing, praise him with the strings, praise him with flutes, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with loud clanging cymbals, let everything that has breath. If you are breathing, that's worship. That's as far as that's as far as David goes. He says, "Worship. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord." Everything that does not have breath, all you breathing people, hit it. Use it. Let it also come alive so that we can worship him. This is not just a noise-making competition because this is just to say, an expression to say that my very existence, God, is to worship you. Your very existence is to worship you. So everything that you do from the moment that you wake up is connected to worship. So don't treat anything cheap. Don't treat anything cheap. Don't treat the house that God has given you cheap because you don't like that house and you are praying for a bigger one. But if you can be faithful and worship God even through the blessings that he has given you right now, don't treat anything cheap. Don't treat your children cheap. Don't treat your education cheap. Don't treat BHC cheap. Pastor, you don't go there. You just don't. You Have you eaten in my canteen? <laughs> don't treat anything less of honor. That's what I'm trying to say. Because everything that you are connected to God has connected himself to it because you are wired to worship him. So everything that you are doing goes as an act of worship to him. So even if you study well and put all your heart and soul into it, that is also an expression of worship. Hey. Now this part, pastor, I don't like it. It's not just music that's an expression of worship. It's not just songs that's an expression of worship. Even your mark sheet is an expression of worship. And I'm failing miserably. <laughs> Faster. I love God so much that I want to re-worship every semester. <laughs> How can I not worship God? I want to keep worshiping him. This semester, I want to re-worship him seven times. So I pray over my life, I will have seven arrears. No, that's not worship. Your sincerity, giving your best with all your heart, your mind and your soul. Be sincere in that. You will see God's favor. You will see God's favor. Number two, God wants us to worship him with our attention. The first thing is 
heart and soul. Then this comes our mind, our attention. Because what you're giving attention to, you're obsessed with. You're consumed by that. Romans 12, 2. You know, it's beautifully written. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I like how this verse is written in the Message Bible, in the Message Version. Let me read that for you. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Our culture alters our worship. If anything that the culture offers that takes you away from the altar and the presence of the Lord, that is not a culture to be followed. Can I hear an amen? I am not trying to promote here Western culture, Indian culture, Turkey culture, New Zealand culture, or your family culture. We are talking about Bible culture here. We are talking about kingdom culture here, which is above any culture because civilization came later, but God always existed. Hello? This is beyond our civilization. This is beyond something that we could even imagine. And so he writes, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you start fitting into it without even thinking. Because when you start thinking everything through only the box and the angle and the perspective of culture, you are not giving 100% attention to God. So what happens then is that your worship is altered. Your worship is deviated. Instead, fix your attention on God. Everybody say, I fix my attention on God. You will be changed from the inside to the outside. Culture alters you outside. Nobody can alter you on the inside. But when you sincerely connect your heart and your soul and your mind to God... He alters you from the inside to the outside. People are talking about cancer culture. Hey, Bible has canceled a lot of things long time back. We are called to live counterculture because when you start living a biblical lifestyle, it is contradictory to the culture. Yes, you might lose people in life. Yes, your family might turn around and say, hey, I don't agree with this. I don't stand with you, blah, 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 blah. But what is most important to you? Because what are you obsessed with? Are you obsessed with God? Are you obsessed with His presence? If that's the most important thing, you will not let anything steal the worship that God has in your life. And I know some of you have paid the price to keep your worship going in your life. I know you have paid those prices. I know you have lost people and families and closed ones, closed, uh, close people in your life and I know you have paid a lot of price but let me remind you Jesus paid the greatest price his price is greater and it's worth it whatever you decided it's worth it whatever you decided to stand for it's worth it don't give up don't doubt it you're in the right track as long as you are worshipping him with all your heart 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to God unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity Paul predicted what is going to happen because if you only go with culture biblically you are immature because com- culture does not give you 100% maturity because culture is confused culture changes culture alters but the word of the lord does not alter and you and i we are called to sub- be subjective to the word of god and god brings this is this is this is the sweet part of this verse in the message version it says and god brings the best out of you what happens when you keep having this posture of worship and always handling everything in life that as an offering to god and honoring everything in life as an offering to god even good things and bad things what happens god brings the best out of you it's not your jo- it is not your job that brings the best out of you it is not your husband or your wife that brings the best out of you it is not your job offers or the ceo or where your position that brings the best out of you it is god and god alone when you offer yourself as a worship to him he brings the best out of you develops you into a maturity in Christ Jesus worship the lord with all your heart and your soul which means all your affections should be surrendered to god number 1 number 2 worship him with your mind give your 100% attention to god don't be merged and altered by opinions culture things around you or what others say is important always give the word of the lord the highest place in your life and keep your life surrendered to that so that your choices that you make will be very different than everybody else's choices pastor i get mocked for that good pastor i get beaten for that great pastor i get thrown out for that awesome You know why? Because when they reject you, he says, "I've I'm always here for you. This is your place. His presence is your home. That is why we beautifully sang that song, because we could say that we know that he loves us, and I'm confident about it." because when everybody threw at me he's the only person who came out and said you are mine you are mine stay here i know you love me i know he loves me i know you love me i know i know you love me why do i know that and how can i keep knowing that is when i give my all my attention to him here's the last point number 3 god wants you to worship him with your abilities with your abilities worship him with all your heart your soul your mind and your strength you have a certain level of strength you have a capacity 
you have a certain god given abilities but your abilities should never overtake the name of jesus but should always be under the name of jesus whatever ability that takes tries to take over the name of jesus god brings it down you take it from babylon god brings it down you take from the people of israel they try to replace god and alter god with a golden calf he brought it down he brought it down can you have your ability surrendered to god hebrews 13 verse 15 and 16 says therefore let us offer through jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to god not scheduled what does it say worship is not scheduled Worship is not a time to time thing. I think God has a laugh when we say 4 hours of worship, 12 hours of worship, 24 hours of worship. God is like, "Ah, I'm good, good. Okay, okay." Nice, nice. It's, it's all it's called good things, expressions, but but those are 12 hours of worship expression. But worship is Worship is just breathing, 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 breathing because everything that has breath it's continual sacrifice of praise to God. It's continual. It's a sacrifice which means that less of me, more, more of you, Lord. Paul says, kill me, Lord. You be alive. that was his maturity in the beginning of the uh, um, epistles he writes less of me lord more of you towards the end of his experience of being with god and planting churches he just comes and says no no don't even go less of me kill me so that you can be alive sacrifice continual sacrifice of praise to god proclaiming we are called to claim and we are called to proclaim that's what we heard in dawn prayer god spoke to us claim and proclaim and the reason why we can proclaim our allegiance is because we have a name that is greater than ours we are called to proclaim the name of jesus and don't forget this is it don't forget to do good and to share with those in need helping people serving people If you're part of ministry here and you're serving God and if you're not yet part of a ministry here and not yet serving God let me tell you something what we do here is an act of worship setting up for pre-service breakfast that's an act of worship giving is an act of worship kalanjam is an act of worship laying down chairs mopping the floors worship you getting up coming here being on time testifying about the goodness of the Lord is worship you even trying to sacrifice and stay back and encourage somebody in the church it's worship it's worship is worship you valuing us coming together as church is worship it's worship so don't forget to do good and to share with those in need these are the sacrifices that pleases god this is his love language Worship anchors your heart. 
Worship anchors your soul. Worship anchors your mind. The question, you know, I, I think the author of the song is Isaac Watts, and he writes this: "When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, he's not just looking at the cross. He's he's not saying." when I look to the cross or not when I glance when I survey 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 when I survey every fiber of what Jesus has done in the past you know in, in his entire existence of of man being on this earth when I survey that everything that he did was for the redemption of you and I and everything is an expression of his love for you and me so why should I think about worshipping him when I know that I am called to worship him when I know that I am made in his image to worship him the question that God wants to ask you and the Holy Spirit wants to sur survey your heart what are you worshipping what are you obsessed with what are you obsessed with what are you imitating because what you're obsessed with is what you imitate is it celebrities is it people that you're inspired by you know even even it's a, if it's a man of God and you're obsessed by a man of God that's a sin you know that right that's a sin. Nobody can take. There was a time in my life when I was inspired by, by one particular man of God. And it was always about him and what he said and the way he preached and the way he said things and the way he prayed. The Holy Spirit said, dude, that's worship. You're worshiping somebody else. Worship, you can be inspired. But move on. That person is not God. Serve the God that person is serving. Hello? Young people, I want to tell you, be inspired by people, but don't turn your inspiration into worship. Turn to the person standing next to you, look at them and tell them, move on, buddy. Move on. Great, great inspiration. Look at them and tell them, move on. Move on. Move on. You can be inspired by somebody great. It triggers you something in you, but don't stay there. You're not followers of any man. You're not followers of King City Church. You're not followers of Pastor Sam Ellis. You're not followers of Benny Hinn. We are not followers of, of Reynard Bonke. We're not followers of, of any men, powerful men of God. They're all great men of God. And in the Hebrew says, you know, that's why he keeps reminding to, to, the, uh, to the Jewish people saying that you're not followers of Abraham because God is greater than Abraham. We are not followers of Melchizedek because Jesus is the highest priest. You are not followers of anybody. Hello? Are you with me church? I want you to correct, I want to correct you in this if you're doing this. Because I love you so much. I'm the only person who can love you this much because I'm your pastor. And I want, because we live in the culture of follows and followers and likes and hearts and comments. That's the culture we live in. Media is good, but we don't worship media. We worship God. And media is an expression of it. 
it comes and it will go for this era is technology i'm telling you that will go facebook will not stay forever instagram will not stay forever it will go promise you i promise you this i promise you this it will go that does not mean that you will lose your job because your job is always to preach the gospel we use the most effective tool but we always preach there will be days when we will lose this freedom of space to worship him but that does not stop us from worshiping him don't attach yourself to any of the tools be attached to the one who receiving the worship and this is a single audience worship here one person and one person alone and his name is Jesus his name is Jesus repent from that sin repent from that it's one thing to be inspired but don't turn your inspiration into worship of any men of god they are men they are human of god but not god this includes this includes your family also this includes your family also fathers remember your fathers and sometimes we try to play god in our children's life and we are tempted to do that mothers we are tempted to do that your father and mother you are not god of your children don't tweak their mind don't manipulate them repent from that i'm serious hello i told you i love you so i want to be honest with you you teach them godly ways and leave the outcome to god the moment you try to control the outcome you are playing god because only god knows the outcome hello the seed even does not belong to you he just gave you the process of looking after you are stewards i am steward the seed came from him the the fruit also cholla matingle cholladinge the fruit also the fruit of your children also belongs to who to god their fruit and if it's a fruit of god in their life god is going to look at you and tell you good well done faithful servant be happy with that just know that whatever god is allowing you are an engineer i will நீ மட்டும் என்ஜினியர் ஆயிருந்தீங்கன்னா பரலோத்துக்கு போயிருப்ப இஃப் யூ பிகம் அ டாக்டர் யூ வுட் ஹவ் கான் டு எனி வே டோன்ட் பி டிப்ரெஸ்ட் அபவுட் தட் ட்ரூலி செலிப்ரேட் வாட் காட் இஸ் டூயிங் இன் தேர் லைஃப் சோ சோ அண்ட் லுக் ஆஃப்டர் த சீட்ஸ் தட் காட் இஸ் புட் இன் தேர் லைஃப் லுக் அட் தேர் எபிலிட்டிஸ் மேக் ஷோர் தட் தேர் ஹார்ட் அண்ட் தேர் சோல் அண்ட் தேர் மைண்ட் அண்ட் தேர் ஸ்ட்ரென்த் இஸ் ஃபோக்கஸ்ட் இன் ஜீசஸ் த கிரேட்டஸ்ட் கிஃப்ட் இஸ் இஃப் யோர் சில்ட்ரன் கேன் வர்ஷிப் the same god that you are worshiping and when they become more like christ that's the biggest gift that you can be proud of every other outcome guide them 
help them but tell them go on your knees and pray it gives them maturity spiritual maturity it gives them decision making authority it gives them a heart to hear from god that's what eli did samuel 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 this time eli said hey not my voice go and tell i am here lord that's the dream of every parent and that's why most of the christian boys are named sam ullenayya all those lazy parents who didn't want to look for a name name their kids sam daddy if you are watching this sorry <laughs> 10 people nine are sam and one will be samson <laughs> terrible or sam raj <laughs> we are going to be creative add the raj make it indian trust him trust him trust him trust him trust him worship him don't attach your heart to anything you can deviate from god even if you idolize your own children i can be an idol worshipper if i idolize this church in my life you know that yes if ministry replaces jesus in my life I am worshiping KCC not Jesus. Worship belongs to who? Jesus. That's how far as important this is. Can we stand together? Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope it was a blessing for you as well as your family. If you would like to support our ministry, you can do so by visiting kingcitychurch.com/give. And we will meet you next week. another inspiring sermon. God bless you.